Welcome to the podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a welcoming and progressive Unitarian Universalist congregation deeply committed to love and justice. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. I would like you all to visualize something with me for just a moment. A dark camp on the side of the highway. The smell of wood smoke and propane gas. The sounds of cars all around you. People coming and going all night long. People suffering from addiction. Bone chilling cold. Tents so close together that you cannot walk between them. And a thin sheet of nylon being the only thing separating you from your neighbor. This is a sanctuary. A broken sanctuary, but a sanctuary all the same. Over the summer, I watched the encampment start with one lonely tent on this little thin strip of grass right next to the highway. And it grew all summer long. By September, everybody else noticed it too. There was well over 200 people living in that sanctuary. People without homes came together to say, we are here and you will see us. People struggling with addiction were seen as advocates and providers of refuge. They created a sanctuary, a broken survival sanctuary. I really struggled with calling this the sanctuary. It was dirty and smelly. People were using drugs and there were dirty needles on the ground. But to those living there, it was a sanctuary. It was a place to return to, a place to eat, and a place to sleep. It was a community, a broken survival sanctuary community. Over this past week, I have watched as the community slowly was dismantled. Many people have found housing. Others will be moved to a warmer, safer, more secure tent. And others will choose to remain living outside. Many of those people, it's due to pets or mental health, but it was their choice. As this camp is wiped away and we no longer see it alongside the road, will the sanctuary survive? Will the sanctuary that each one of these people carry within them live? Now for me, A tent on the side of the road will never be a sanctuary, or at least I hope not. And for many of you, I know that would be the same. But it was their sanctuary, broken, messy, dirty. But now we have to talk about sanctuary within ourselves. I believe their sanctuary will live in the heart of each and every resident and volunteer. I believe the sanctuary also lives in each of us and in every person when we can embrace the beauty of a broken survival sanctuary.
The year was 1939, when the steamliner, named the SS St. Louis, left Nazi Germany with roughly 900 Jewish passengers on board. They were fleeing the rise of anti-Semitism and the dangers of the death camps. And the boat arrived first here on the shores of America, but was turned away. You see, they hadn't followed the proper process, hadn't applied through the proper channels, hadn't waited their turn. So the boat went on to Cuba, to Uruguay, to Paraguay, to Canada, to Argentina, where at each port they heard the exact same words. No, there is no room for you here. You haven't followed the proper procedures. You have to wait your turn. So with no place to find a safe harbor, the boat eventually turned around and made its way back to Europe. The passengers were dispersed all over the region, and many of them ended up in the very death camps that they feared, and they died there, at the hands not only of the Nazis, but I would say, too, at the hands of every country that refused them entry. This story was told widely after World War II. It exposed the truth of the immigration system in many countries, and here it broke the nation's collective heart when people heard it. How could rules and bureaucracy get in the way when people were literally running for their lives? How could a country say, I'm sorry, you have to wait your turn, when waiting your turn meant certain death? And how could a country and a people live with themselves when they knew that they had done this? These were some of the questions that haunted many in the United States and around the world, and from this experience, the modern concept of asylum emerged. It was at a United Nations Convention on Refugees in 1951 when many nations came together in agreement. They said, when people arrive at your border running for their lives, the onus can't be on them to follow the proper procedures, to follow all the rules, to cross their T's and dot their I's when it comes to immigration for refugees. No, with great power comes great responsibility, and those in power with the privilege of safety would from then on be responsible for offering up protection to those who were fleeing for their lives. This was an important idea, a good idea, a moral idea, a right idea. 
And I think as we know from our own lives and from watching things unfold in our communities, these right ideas, moral ideas, good ideas can get very twisted up and complicated when we then go to put them in practice. Fear can creep in. Worry, a concern that maybe we won't have enough. Maybe there's difficulty communicating. Maybe we speak different languages, come from different life experiences, have different stories. Maybe we have different ways of looking at the world. Maybe patterns from our own family, patterns that come from the systematic oppression that is occurring in our own culture shows up in these new relationships. Maybe political expediency becomes more important than people. We know this has certainly been the case in the very broken asylum and immigration system that exists in the United States today. The ideals that once seemed so clear are now twisted up by racism and fear and the misguided self-interest of those in power when it comes time to actually put them into practice. And here's what it looks like right now. Over the last 10 years, the number of people arriving in the United States seeking asylum has increased by over 1,700%. There are refugees fleeing poverty and violence and persecution, instability, and they are arriving at the United States border. Thousands of refugees are there now, waiting their turn, camped out, doing their best to follow proper procedures that are often poorly explained in a language they do not speak where they find themselves crossing over at great risk, hoping just to arrive with their lives. This time they didn't arrive by boat, but they are here all the same, asking for safety and protection. And it is from this place, this moment in time, that the Christmas story comes around again. The travelers through the night, the vulnerable, the weary, the carriers of the light that lives in each human heart, they are on the move again, on the move with the wolf at their back as they have been forever and ever for all time. And this is the truth. It has always been so. Outcasts wandering the desert, traveling from house to house, tent to tent, searching for shelter for the most vulnerable among us the baby waiting to be born, a symbol of compassion and love for all, turned away again, again. Mary, Joseph, the baby, the oppressors, the oppressed, broken people, all, traveling, lost, closing and opening the door. And here we are, broken and breaking still, whole and holy and worthy, all. And what do we do? in this broken place, at this broken time, with our broken hearts, what is there to do? Mourn, yes. Rage, too. Fight. Then make a nest. From whatever found objects you can discover, a bit of twine here, a puff of feathers there, a nook tucked away out of the way in plain sight, a place of refuge. Fluff the pillow made of discarded sack and soft moss. Savor the morsel of food, the clean drops of water. Let your belly be full or fuller than it was. Wrap the wounds and say the prayers and open the door. Let one another in to your tiny house of sorrow, your place of refuge, your warmth and safety 
that is multiplied in sharing into this sanctuary we make for each other. The activist and author Brian Stevenson puts it like this, we are all broken people beyond perfect repair, living in a broken world, inventing broken systems. And I'll tell you, I was practicing this morning in what I thought was the privacy of my bedroom, saying these words out loud, and in popped my eight-year-old's head, and she said, Mom, that is a lot of broken. <laughs> broken people, broken time, broken systems. It is a lot of broken. She is right. And I think it's important to know that when we look back over history, when we look at the present, there is a lot of broken. There are stories of exile, of searching for safety and refuge. There are stories of folks just looking to survive, stories about cycles of oppression and abuse, yes. And when we look back, too, there are stories as well of sanctuary, sanctuary large and small that we build for ourselves and each other, stories of kindness and hope and possibility. The poet Alice Walker reminded us this morning that these broken pieces exist with all of their beauty for each of us. Their beauty, in fact, resting in the fact that they do not need to be fixed, do not need to be repaired, but simply need to be kept and honored and remembered. Over the course of this month where we've been talking about sanctuary and exploring this theme, this poem has been living with me. And I've been doing my best to participate as well and take down off the shelf in my heart those places of sanctuary and hold them and remember them. And I've been remembering this, that when I was in my early 20s, I was lucky enough to fall in with a group of friends who became family to one another. Most of us were in early recovery from one addiction or another. All of us identified as queer or transgender. And we all had strained relationships at best with the families we had been brought up in. I was working days running an after-school program for troubled kids in the city and nights at the convenience store. My roommate worked at the Yankee Candle factory, which if you know anything about Yankee Candle, there's a lot of smells going on there. So every day when he would come home from work, it would be a new scent that would arrive with them. Cake batter, <laughs> pumpkin spice. And we would have this ritual where he would leave his stuff at the door and get in the shower and it still would land in the apartment. All of us in this group of friends that we had created together, we all worked hard and we all worked a lot and we all barely made enough to get by. We were a motley crew when we were all assembled, but we were absolutely family to one another. We'd gather for each other's important days, even if we didn't really understand them or have any idea what we were doing. We'd get together for birthdays and sober anniversaries and Yom Kippur and Thanksgiving. If there was a tradition that felt important to one of us, it was important to all of us. And we'd bring the food that we needed and we'd gather in this tiny apartment just off the main drag that was across from the deli. And the door was open there all hours of the day and night and the living room would get converted with card tables and folding chairs and giant pillows for folks to sit on and I would hide in the kitchen always because it was too full, too tight and I'd be in there enjoying the noise and also pretending that I knew how to carve a turkey. <laughs> Who knows how to do that? Maybe some of you do. Or how to keep a hundred latkes warm. I would be in there hiding and we would come together, all of us, from our lives on the margins, and somehow we made something more together, 
a feast, a family, a home like none of us had known before, pieced solely out of our longing and our need and a conviction in each of us that we were still whole and holy and worthy no matter what anyone else had to say. It wasn't perfect. We were not perfect people, and still it was enough. We are all scattered to the wind now, living in different places across the country or around the world, and there are rifts between some of us that seem impossible to ever repair. But still, that sanctuary that we created remains lodged in my heart. So I wonder, where is sanctuary for you? What memories might you take down off that honored shelf? that is full of beautiful and broken things that do not need to be repaired, but only need to be seen and held and honored. Where is sanctuary for you? Where has it been before? Where is it now? One more story. This one comes from a radio show I was listening to on NPR called It's Been a Minute. And on this show, they were going back and talking to somebody they'd interviewed a year ago. So the story went like this. It was a little over a year ago when Kate Miles heard a report about the refugee crisis in Europe. The story that she heard touched her heart, and she started asking around and making connections. She heard about an older couple from Burundi who had been granted asylum in the U.S. and who were looking for help getting acclimated to the country. They needed a bigger place to live because it wasn't just them, they were also guardians for three teenagers, ages 15, 16, and 17. So Kate decided to welcome the family into her home, thinking, okay, this is just going to be for a little while, while they get acclimated to this new town and while they transition to this new place, and soon they'll move out on their own. But she soon learned, by being with them, that making the move to a new country and a new culture and learning a new language is kind of a big deal. And it takes more than a few weeks or a few months even. And so as she was helping this family get settled, helping the kids get enrolled in school and everybody find new primary care physicians and get vaccinations sorted out and all of those things, as she was dealing with the bureaucracy, as she says, she started falling in love with them. Meanwhile, her home and her life were already full by most people's standards. She and her husband had three kids at home and two full-time jobs. They had a house that she says, yeah, it's big, but it's probably the size of a lot of people's houses. And I just had this moment, she said, of like, well, how often do we really use the formal dining room? So they made some changes. They got a bigger hot water heater and a better toilet, and they turned that dining room into a bedroom, and then there was room. Now, it's important to note that Kate and her family are white, and the family they welcomed into their home are black African folks who have now moved into a very white, very small town in Maine. So there is absolutely the danger here of this becoming a white savior story, and the truth, as always, is complicated. We know that being black in America means living in an oppressive state where your perceived missteps, your perceived out-of-placeness can mean very real and very painful consequences. And we know that being white in America means being granted the benefit of the doubt more often than not, being given access to privilege and power both earned and unearned. I think about this a lot, Kate says. I see the optics of this. And I also know from my conversation with one of my new family members that his life now versus the first few months in the States before we met, it's kind of gone on a faster trajectory 
and I've got some privilege, and I see it, and I'm using it, and I don't know what else I can do. I can set a tone about what my community is going to see as normal. This is now a mixed-race, 10-person American Burundian family who lives down the road. Get into it. (laughs) So that is what I want to hold up from this story. Not the fact that this could be a made-for-TV movie with the benevolent white family saving the poor black family from another country, but rather it's this statement that Kate made. The reason I'm doing this, which seems kind of crazy, she said, was I'm at capacity. Like I work a full-time job and my husband works a full-time job and I'm spending all of my money on daycare and I do not have hours in the day to give back to a community in a more traditional sense. So I kind of looked around and tried to figure out what resources I did have. She looked around and tried to figure out what resources she did have, and then she figured out how to share them, how to open the door instead of closing it, how to welcome the stranger into this mess of an already full feeling life. She looked around and figured out what resources she did have and then how to share them. Sanctuary is something we create for ourselves and for each other. It isn't perfect. It's often messy and complicated and full of the dynamics and oppressions of the larger culture we live in. More often than not, we are broken people living in a broken time in a broken place with broken hearts, inventing broken systems. And still, we are whole and holy and worthy all the same. The sanctuaries that we find and build for ourselves and for each other may not be perfect, but they can be enough. So in this world, this messy, imperfect world that we live in, finding and creating sanctuary, both physical and spiritual, is critical. It's a matter of survival. We can't wait for ourselves or each other to follow all of the proper procedures. We're not going to get it exactly right. We can't ask ourselves or each other to wait in line when the wolf is at our backs. And make no mistake, whoever we are, whatever position we hold in this society, racial position, economic position, social position, the wolf is at our back. Because racism and white supremacy culture and all of the oppressions out there are hurting all of us. They are destroying all of us. We are all in need of sanctuary here. Whether we are literally fleeing for our lives or just doing our best to live our ideals out in practice in this world. We are all in need of sanctuary, physical and spiritual sanctuary. So how do we do it? How will you do it? What perfectly broken, perfectly imperfect memories or experiences will you take down off that honored shelf in your heart to remember, to hold them dear, to create again that space of sanctuary for yourself or someone else? What resources might you have to share? What door of your heart do you want to open, even though you've closed it again and again? How might you create sanctuary for yourself and for each other? May these be the questions that live in our hearts this holiday season as we hear that Christmas story again. May it be so. Amen.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F I R S T U N I V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.